Get ahead of the postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Hey, y'all. Before we jump into today's case, we want to let you know to check out True Crime Week on Stitcher. They are kicking off the spookiest month of the year with the creepiest and crawliest true crime podcasts. Listen to our show and other true crime podcasts like Unraveled and Dr. Death and more all for free on Stitcher. Also check out their curated homepage to find your next true crime pod obsession. If you're on your phone, you can download Stitcher in your app store or go to stitcher.com discover. We'll see you there. Hello and welcome to Killer Queens, a true crime podcast. I'm your host, Torella. And I'm your better, prettier, younger host, Tori. We're sisters who are obsessed with true crime and love gal palin with you about cases. You can expect the occasional curse word, lots of friends quotes, and all the 90s nostalgia. To get in on the conversation, check us out at KillerQueensPodcast.com. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook at KillerQueensPodcast. And we're on YouTube at KillerQueens, a true crime podcast. Okay, y'all, grab your Capri Suns or your Surge and let's talk about some true crime. Hey dudes, always the same, huh? I was actually going to say, I haven't done Hey Dudes in a while. I have then. Yep, you totally have. (laughs) One time you said you tried something different, but that was the only time that you veered from the Hey Dudes. It probably didn't go well. Am I trying something different? Probably not. It probably sounded real stupid and we were probably all just agreed, let's not do that again. (laughs) But see, I don't (laughs) even remember that. Right. It's just how crazy it is. In other news, I'm a LaCroix girl now. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Have you tried the beach plum flavor? Oh, no, I have not. I think I've only tried, gosh, I really think I've only tried grapefruit and I hated its entire being. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Gross. I don't like any of them, but I tried beach plum. Girl, <laughs> you got to get it. Does it have more of a flavor? It does. It? it has flavor. And it's honestly like I bought some at the grocery store and it's the thing that like I've been looking forward to. Wow. Like around lunch. Yeah. I'm like, I can have my huh. croy. I know. It's, you got to try it. It's really okay. good. A hidden right. gem, if you will. <laughs> good to know. Yeah. So, all right. All right. Well, shall we get uh, more towards the story? Yeah, I think so. Do you want to talk about the Patreon though? I think we should. Yeah. I also think that we should talk about the new green room thing. Yes. We've got a couple little things to mention to you. First and foremost, we have a Patreon. We do. You know what? Instead of just talking about the Patreon, though, I want to back up and I want to talk about our email list. Mm. Y'all have got to get on this email list. So our friend Megan is a whiz at emails and she's helping us with our emails and she is amazing. But she is including a weekly dose of 90s flashbacks in every single one. You gotta get on it. (laughs) It's just a joy to read them, honestly. Because obviously I know what's going to come out. I know what's the happening on Mm -hmm. Killer Queens. But I just enjoy reading them. So I know they're so good. And we've gotten so many like replies back that are like, I never read emails that I get, but I make sure I read these every week. They're so good. They do also, I brought it up here because they do also include like every week she tells you what we cover that week. So mm-hmm. that way you can see like, you know, if there is a, a, a case on the Patreon that, you know, maybe you've requested a case and it ends up going on the Patreon, or maybe there's a case you're interested in. You're like, oh, I would like to, you know, hear their take on it or whatever. You can see all that in the emails as well. Mm-hmm. So definitely um, check that out. You can join the list if you go to killerqueens.link slash join. Perfect. So I think uh, since that's out of the way, Mm -hmm. let's get into the Patreon. Yes. So then the Patreon is where we do extra shows. Mm -hmm. You get two extra shows per week if you join at the $10 level. I know you get a doc jam, which is our, we cover an entire docu-series. So every episode weekly comes out. 
That's on Fridays. Then you also get a murder mixtape, which is just an extra full episode on Wednesdays. Yeah. I mean, and everything is ad free. Oh, yeah, totally ad free. Every single mm-hmm. episode. So you get these regular releases ad free. Mm-hmm. I mean, come on. And then, and then, and then, right? We are doing a show on the new app called Spotify Green Room. I was really wondering where you were going with that because that was drawn out. It was drawn out. I yeah, I tried I tried something. It wasn't working. Um, see, and that's how you know. You try it and then you know. But yeah, so we're doing an extra show a week there, and it's a live audio show. So you can get in the chat, we can chit chat back and forth with you. We can actually have you speak and speak with us. The app is going through some updates. So hopefully that feature will be worked out really well for us. But it's really cool. We got to talk to Steve. Mm-hmm. We sure did. Yeah. And we hope to talk to more people. So we alternate covering cases from Dateline, Cold Case Files, and See No Evil. So like it kind of rotates in that order. And again, if you want to know like which uh, case is coming up, you want to follow us on Green Room. If you want to follow us, you'll get notified when we go live. It's Tuesdays at 8 p.m. Central. But you have to actually search for my name. So that's Torella Slim. You can't search by True Crime Rewind. I'm not really sure why. But search for my name. Follow. When we go live, you'll be notified. It's Tuesdays at 8 p.m. Central. And if you join the email list, again, you can, um, there will be links directly to our profile there. We've got instructions on our Instagram highlight, like story highlight, how to join. There's all kinds of fun stuff there. Yeah. And if you are looking for other things to do on, there's basically a murder block party on Spotify Green Room. So it starts at 7 p.m. Central, ends at 10 p.m. Central. And it's three shows back to back that are just chock full of murder cases. So, yes, I mean, they've really got it. They've really got it going on. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. It's amazing. Yep. It really is. Super fun. All right. Okay. So let's get into the case. Let's get into the case. All right. This one is obviously you've clicked on it. The disappearance of Brianna Maitland. Please, everybody say a prayer for Tori. This is an unsolved case. One like yeah. is one prayer. Yeah, exactly. We've had some discussions, Terrell and I. There have been a lot of them and it's hurting my heart. Mm-hmm. And I, you know... I'm getting through it day by day. Sure. By day. By By day. Amen. It's tough though. So anyway, let's just do it so I can get real pissed because Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I want to know where these people are and who done it. Yep. Who done it. That's that's what we want to know. So this case was, I don't see who recommended it or requested it. So Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't know if we had a lot of requests for it or not, but If you did request it, thank you. And we just don't have it written down. But Madison did write this one for us. So, hey, girl, thanks. Yes. And if you wanted to watch something on it, I don't know, Terrell, did you watch The Disappeared season? I did actually a long time ago. Okay. Yeah. So Disappeared season four, episode 11. It's called Vanished in Vermont. And you can find that on Amazon Prime Video with an add-on or you could pay for it. So, Mm -hmm. And there is a full podcast like series about this case. So a lot of information out there. Obviously, we're condensing it into a one-hour show, but it's called Missing Brianna Maitland, and it's by Crawl Space, like their media group, I guess. So it's very, very detailed if you want more information there. I did also see that Trace Evidence has an episode on it. He does a really, really great job. Steven Pacheco, I think is his name. We've talked about him before. He's always super, super thorough. His stuff is also available on YouTube. And then True Crime Garage did a two-parter on it. So lots of options out there. Yes, absolutely. So let's get into it. On Friday, March 19th, 2004, 17-year-old Brianna Maitland clocked out of her job at the Black Lantern Inn in Montgomery, Vermont at 11.20 p.m. She told her coworkers that she needed to go home, get some sleep before starting her second job, which was a part-time job the next morning. And Brianna was never seen again. In the early morning hours of the following day, her vehicle was found off the road and backed into a nearby abandoned farmhouse. Her keys were gone, but her migraine medication and contacts were still inside. 17 years later, Brianna is still missing. Initially thought to possibly be a runaway, it soon became clear that Brianna was the victim of foul play. 
Was it drug related or was Brianna the victim of an accident that was covered up by friends who were too scared to admit their involvement? We don't know, but let's talk about it further. Yep. We just don't know. Let's get into who Brianna was or possibly is. We don't know. Brianna Alexandra Maitland was born on October 8th, 1986 in Burlington, Vermont to Bruce and Kelly Maitland. The couple was young at that time, around 25 years old when she was born. She lived with her family, so her parents, and she had an older brother, Waylon, in Franklin, Vermont, and they lived on a farm. So they lived without a lot of modern appliances that we would think to live with. They didn't have a microwave or a TV. I'm like, okay, I can kind of get that. They didn't have a stove either. That's kind of crazy. I know, that's a lot. But Brianna... I mean, she was totally fine without all that stuff. And it's probably like, you know, it's all she ever knew. So Mm -hmm. I didn't know you needed a microwave. But her friends kind of thought of her as a little bit of a hippie. And they said that when they first visited and found out that she cooked popcorn on a wood stove, they were totally shocked. (laughs) And again, she's just like, well, wait, how else do you cook it? How do you do it? Yeah. I feel like it's not the same, obviously, completely not the same. But I remember going to, because Miss KB's house very old and has a lot of old, gosh, like fixtures. I don't know. He's very into, yeah, he's really into restored and renovated things. So we had a clawfoot tub, no closets. We had armoires. To be seen. Yeah. No. I mean, because yeah, the house was built in the 1800s. Yeah. And I had no idea. We went on a tour one time. They taxed you for doorways at that time. So they can't, couldn't afford a closet. So they just use armoires and stuff like that. We had a fainting sofa in our bedroom. Like we had mm-hmm. no carpet. There were no stairs. So when I would go to people's houses, I was like, what? Yeah. I thought people who like lived in a two-story house were rich. Yes. I was like, you have stairs and carpets? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Or like so a... Rich. One of those built-in with the shower and tub combo was like, oh Ugh. man, I wanted that so bad. Yeah. I know. Yeah. And little did we know we had it made and awesome because we had a, a whole clawfoot tub and, you know, like. I know. Yeah. It's that's like, what no, I would I, want now. Exactly. But. Yeah. It's funny how it's like, and you just don't know until you see it done differently. Right. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, okay. But she was really like she could track wild animals in the woods and she helped care for her family's animals. She was a very rounded individual. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. she had a lot of knowledge that a lot of kids her age would not have had. Yeah. And she was also trained in jujitsu, like very well-trained in jujitsu. Wow. That is at 17, man. I know. She had a Sharpay named Lau and a cat named Muffin. I love it. Brianna was described by friends and family as bubbly and charismatic. Her friends called her either Brie or B, and she was a free spirit who literally never met a stranger. She was known for introducing herself on the first day of school to anyone who looked like they might have, you know, been lonely or needed a friend. And her dad also said that she was like one to step up when she felt like she was seeing an injustice done. You know, she kind of like was an advocate for the underdog sort of thing. Mm -hmm. She wasn't afraid to like take up for people too. She was funny, silly. She kept notes from her friends taped up in her light green 1985 Oldsmobile sedan. She never forgot anyone's birthday. That is not my talent. Mm -mm. Uh, She was someone who could be counted on and was just fun to be around. She was an attention grabber with her long brown hair. She had a very slim build, hazel eyes, and long legs. And her friends referred to her as the hot one sometimes. I know how that goes. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) It reminds me of Love Actually when Colin goes to America Yes, and he's got a big dong or whatever. But he's a knob. Oh, knob, knob, and he (laughs) knob. Like who calls it a knob? Um, People in England do. That's funny. Oh, that's funny because they he Rocky used the word knob in the newer. I finally listened to the newer season, and my dad wrote a porno, and he called it a knob like four times, and they were like. It's not sexy to call it a knob. Like, why do you keep doing that? It's funny. Um, But I didn't know it was like a thing, more of a thing there. But um, he's like, you know, he's at the bar with the three girls and they're like, oh, we'll have to sleep naked because we're super poor. And he's just like, oh my gosh. And then 
they're like, you haven't met Harriet? Was that her name? Harriet, Harriet. Yeah. And he's like, who's Harriet? And they were like, oh, she's the hot one. <laughs> she's like, oh, okay. Well, this is a good night, right? But yeah. Great for me. Exactly. But it reminded me of that. So Brianna's personality was one of trust and sensitivity. And this sometimes led her to be a little bit naive. Her parents said that she always wanted to see the best in everyone, which you know, can can sometimes not be a good thing. I mean, it can bite you. Exactly. And she always thought of others before herself. And that kind of led her into dangerous situations. And her mom said that one time she came home to find Brianna with a hitchhiker that she'd picked up while driving home. And nothing bad happened, but her parents were like, okay, this is the kind of thing that makes me nervous. Like something really bad could have happened, you know? Right. Yeah. And you just never know. So it's like, even though you want you're doing it out of the goodness of your heart. You got to keep yourself safe. Yeah. Now, Brianna had a pretty good relationship with her parents, but she wanted independence and she's 17 years old at this time. The only reason I've ever seen for her moving out of her house when she's 17 and changing schools is because she wanted independence. Mm-hmm. Does that seem extreme to you? I know that me. And all of my friends at 17 wanted independence, but we weren't allowed to move out. (laughs) Right. But sometimes that came with like, okay, I'm going to get a car or uh I'll get a part-time job so I can make my own money or... Right. Yeah. It just, I don't know. I've never seen any other reason that she would have moved out. And it, by all accounts, she still had a pretty good relationship with her parents. It just seems strange that she would leave the house, especially considering like, we'll get into it. But so like when she moved out again, she's 17, she moves about 15 miles away from her family's farm. And I do understand this. She's at the high school that she went to where her family's farm was. She felt like she didn't fit in. Like she's a very outgoing girl, but at this school, she just wasn't really making friends. Mm -hmm. And her, the people that she was close to went to a school about 15 miles away. And that's where she wanted to be. So she ends up moving in with a friend and I guess her family, because all of her friends are still in high school. So this is a girl named Katie Manning. And she registers at the school there in Enosburg. I I don't know if I'm saying that right. And I am sorry if I'm not. It's no no shade to anybody. I just don't know how to say it. So this ends up falling through. She can't stay there anymore. So she ends up kind of couch surfing for a while. She stays with, you know, other friends. She stays with boyfriends. She stayed in her car some nights. This is Vermont. We're talking about the winter. In late February of 2004, she ends up dropping out of high school. So because she doesn't have a good living situation, and sometimes I guess maybe she's further from the school or whatever, she's just not making it there as easily. And she's also not, because she doesn't know where she's going to be, if she's sleeping in her car, you know she's not well-rested. Her academics are suffering. She withdraws from school. So then she moves in with a childhood friend named Jillian Stout. And she finally felt more comfortable with these living arrangements. And then once she got more settled, she joined a high school equivalency program in order to get her GED. And it kind of seemed like things were settling down there. And we'll talk about one theory about maybe why, help me not to forget this, why she might have wanted to leave then. Okay. I don't know when you want to bring this up, but I will try. Yeah. I don't know when I should, maybe I should just say it now. So one thing I did here, because it just seems, you know, so like for your parents to be like, okay, you can move out. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know all this stuff, but anyway, I heard and I read that it came out somewhere and again, there's a lot of rumors with this case, so it's it's really hard. But I read that it came out somewhere that a neighbor, her neighbor that lived in the house, I guess, directly next door to the family farm, had molested Brianna and mm. that neighbor still lived there. So I wonder if that was what made her want to leave the house. Well, yeah, I mean, that that is a completely like that understandable, would be understandable reason. Yeah. Because it seems like your parents wouldn't be like, Oh, you just want a little more independence? Because, I mean, technically, can't you take legal action? Or I don't know. I don't know. I guess maybe you can't. But like, you know, with a 17-year-old and she's withdrawing from one school and registering in another, like, 
Don't you have to have parental consent to do some of this stuff? Well, I don't know about if it's state to state with that kind of stuff because consent is different, different ages for like sexual consent and all that kind of stuff. So it could be different for different states. But I would think that she would have to be like emancipated from her parents almost, you know? Right. And it seems like they are either just trying to keep the peace or they are, I mean, they did not want her to move out necessarily. They weren't comfortable with it. No, her mom 100% was like, I don't think this is a good idea. And Brianna was like, Well, I'm doing it anyway, though. Mm -hmm. But it just seems like you would have, I don't know, but I guess a 17-year-old, if they have a car, they can do whatever they want. But I don't know. I feel like we are looking at it from a lens of the way that we grew up. And we weren't allowed to do shit. No, we weren't. And we so then we didn't. Like, I don't know. I don't know what what it's like to do something you're not supposed to do, really. Well, yeah. And I think it it never crossed our minds to just do it anyway. We were like, wait, you can just do it? Yeah. I'm not allowed to do that. So that's off limits. Like, yeah. So I don't know. I don't know what kind of recourse you'd have as a parent, but it seems like she's moving out. She's getting two jobs. I mean, she's living in her damn car for part of the time. That has to be terrifying for her parents. Well, yeah. And I would think as her parents, like if it was me, I'd be like, wow, you want to be out so badly that you're willing to go to these lengths. Yeah. Like what's going on? Mm-hmm. There's and and we're in no way blaming the parents at no, all. No, 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 no. It just seems like it's it, such an extreme thing. Yeah. For, for being like, well, you know, most kids want independence. So she moved out at 17. She had to drop out of high school to move out and she wanted to graduate. She was, she was an intelligent girl. Like it seems like there's something else going on. So this whole well, yeah. neighbor situation makes a lot of sense for that because, and maybe she didn't feel comfortable talking to her parents about it. I don't know. Yeah. And I think with a lot of cases that we cover, there's, we just get as much information as we get. So yeah, there's stuff that we're going to discuss because we're like, well, we need, I mean, it'd be nice to know that, but we just don't. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. I was just like, everything I read and everything I listened to and everything I watched, I was just like, but we don't really get the reason that she moved out. It's just, she wanted independence. And that is just so much to go through. Couch surfing, moving in with other people's families, living in your car, having to drop yeah. out of school just because like, oh, well, I want a little more independence. Right. There's got to be something else going yeah, on there. That's for sure. how I felt. Yeah. So let's get into the day of her disappearance. On Friday, March 19th, 2004, Brianna woke up early and her mom picked her up to have breakfast. Brianna was going to take her GED exam afterwards and then the two were going to go shopping. Around 12 p.m., Kelly picked Brianna up from her exam and the two went to a local store to shop. Brianna had recently been hired for two part-time jobs, one as a dishwasher at the Black Lantern and another at KJ's Diner. She needed black pants for the job at the diner. So they, so while they're there shopping, they are standing in line at the checkout counter and Kelly noticed something catch her daughter's eye outside. Brianna told her mother that she'd be right back, and she walked out of the store and out of her mother's view. Kelly finished paying and met her daughter out in the parking lot at her car. She noticed that Brianna's entire demeanor had changed. She was agitated and secretive. Kelly decided not to ask her what was going on, wanting to respect her privacy. Again, I don't know what that's like, because our mom was all up in our business. Yeah, and I... I don't want to say I'm going to be like our mom in any way, shape, or form, but I think I'm going to be all up in my kids' business. Like, well, something's going on here. Like, yeah, I guess I want them to feel comfortable talking to me. And I'm not saying that, you know, Kelly and Bruce did something that made her not comfortable with it. There are some kids that just won't talk to their parents. It's just how it is. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. There's a lot of, well, we didn't want to bother her. We didn't want to. She's 17. Like, you're the parent. You get to do that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, of course, hindsight, looking back, you're like, oh my gosh, what if that could have, what if if that could have changed something? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's heartbreaking. It is. And there's no right or wrong way to have handled any of this, but it is. And I think, you know, we're talking about a lot because we grew up so very differently. So it's just kind of like, oh, you know, in contrast, that's kind of crazy to think about that you could have privacy. Right. And I just, I mean, yeah, I think kids are entitled to their privacy to a reasonable degree, but I think that as parents, you're allowed to step in and it almost feels like for whatever reason, Kelly and Bruce kind of were like, I'm not allowed to step in. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, well, you're not her friends, you're her parents. Right. I wonder if something like a big blow up happened. Yeah. And Yeah, yeah, there's something that we don't know. Yeah. Which is, I mean, fine. The car ride back to Jillian's house was quiet and tense. Kelly 
felt that something had happened in the parking lot that had upset her daughter. Once they arrived, Brianna gave her mother a hug and exchanged I love yous. Brianna headed inside to get ready for her shift at the Black Lantern Inn. Around 3.30 p.m., Brianna left her roommate a note saying that she'd be back later that night, and then she drove herself to work. So it was a very busy night at the Black Lantern Inn. And Brianna was working hard in the back, washing dishes and helping the rest of the staff. Kelly and Bruce, her parents, were at an establishment not too far down the road. When they were headed home, Kelly asked Bruce if they should stop in and see if their daughter was, uh, see their daughter on the way home. Bruce said that they shouldn't embarrass her in front of her coworkers and the couple headed home. And that I understand. I do too. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, she's in the back. It's not like she's a host and you can walk in and be like, hey, how's your night going or whatever. Right. You and have to ask for her. <laughs> It'd be but, a whole thing. Bear with me here. It reminds me of the hot chick. Remember the the mom who was like, ling, ling. And she was like always up in yes. her business. Like, you you didn't come say hi to me. And it's like, mom, she was so embarrassed. <laughs> yeah. That's what I'm imagining. Yeah. Yeah. It. You would, you know, you're like, I just started this job. Could you please not be like, hey, how's your night going? <laughs> like, I brought my camera. Let's take yeah. pictures. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Picture on your second night. Yeah. Right. Exactly. At 11.20 p.m., the staff at the Black Lantern clocked out. Most of them hung around to socialize and decompress after closing, but Brianna said she needed to head out and get some sleep before her next shift the morning after. Coworkers saw her pulling out of the parking lot and onto the road, and this was the last time that Brianna was ever seen. Okay, I, like, everywhere that I read, it said that people, the coworkers were like, do you want to stay and get dinner? 11.20. I know, I feel like it's like that meme where it's like, some people want to get started at, at 9 p.m. And it's like, okay, not everyone's on Coke, guys. Like, I can't. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, 11.20, you're talking about dinner. I mean, you know, when I used to work at a restaurant, like, if you work you don't, the dinner shift, you don't have time to eat dinner. You have to eat right. after. But, yeah. And you don't go straight to bed after work. Nobody no, does. No. Yeah. So just, no, in my life now, I'm like, 11.20? That well, is the middle of the night. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, a good, reasonable time to have dinner, probably 7. Mm-hmm. Well, we don't and that could be seven. a little late. That could be a little late for yeah, me. We yeah. got to do it at 6, 6.30 or the yeah. children will die. <laughs> yeah, but then when we serve them dinner, they don't want it. But that's that's for another day. <laughs> okay, so remember at this time she's living with her friend Jillian. So, and she had left a note for Jillian saying she'd be home after work that day. So Jillian saw the note that Brianna had left for her that night, but then she went to spend the weekend away at her grandparents' house. I also read that she was going to be with her boyfriend that weekend. So sorry, grandparents' house. She got home two days later on Sunday, and that's the 21st. And the note was still there, untouched, no sign of Brianna anywhere. And she just assumed that like, she went to stay with her family, right? Like maybe she spent the weekend at her family's house. Well, yeah. I mean, even if you're friends with your roommates, you don't know everything that goes on. They don't like t- like check in yeah. all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Not true when you and I were roommates. I knew where you were at all times, every day, all day. <laughs> That's true, but that was different. <laughs> yeah. Because if, if I went 30, over 30 minutes, I was calling the police. That's for damn sure. <laughs> but yeah, it's like, you know, okay, see you later. You know, and then yeah. sometimes, you know, sometimes you don't come home. It's like, oh, hey, I, you know, I ended up here and then I just stayed the night or whatever. Like, you know, yeah. stuff like that happens. So she's just like, doesn't think anything about it. She just assumes she's with her family. On March 23rd, without having seen or heard anything from Brianna, Jillian calls Bruce and Kelly and is like, hey, you know, is she at your house? Because, you know, I kind of thought she'd be back by now. And Kelly's like, no, I thought she was with you. Like... <laughs> okay, now this is worrisome. And Jillian's like, well, no, I thought she was with you. So they start calling everybody they can think of. And and this is, I mean, we're getting at five days now. Mm-hmm. I, again, I just, as a parent, you don't talk to your kid for five days and she's 17. That is interesting. And again, though, (laughs) I do think, I mean, it could just be a difference in the way people's families operate because I talk to you multiple times a day. If I haven't texted you by a certain time, at least you text me and you're like, either are you mad at me or are you in a ditch somewhere? And then I talk to Miss KB at least, at least once a day. And sometimes I'm like, oh gosh, 
you know, I don't have time or it's busy or whatever. And then I end up talking his ear off for three hours. So (laughs) yeah. Well, and I think like for me, I don't talk to him as often, but I'm also, you know, like we're grownups. I don't think it would be weird to not talk to him every single day. Yeah. But I do understand. I mean, it's 17, like. Yeah. She's 17. It's and she's working two jobs. She's living on her own. Like, I don't know. I would think we'd, I'd want to talk to her every day. I'm sure they wanted to talk to her every day. Again, I understand they're trying to give her her privacy and her space freedom. Yeah. And her Mm -hmm. space. But at the same time, I just cannot fathom not, you know, if my kid goes on a, on a weekend, you know, stay a weekend with a family, you know, a friend. And I know that he's going to, you know, be there with their family or whatever. Maybe, you know, when they're teenagers, I don't talk to them every single day. I would think at, you know, that point you'd text, I know this was 2004, whatever, but I think I'd have some form of communication at least every day, every other day. Right. It's just fax them or something. I mean, something, page them. Like, it just seems very strange that you'd go five days and be like, have no idea that your 17-year-old is missing. Right. I don't know. Even though they don't live together, it's just, that's just scary. So they start making phone calls and then pretty much immediately, I mean, Kelly, like, because people are like, no, you know, she's not here, whatever. So Kelly calls, 911 reports are missing. And she is, because she's a minor, she's immediately entered into the NCIC, the National Crime Information Center, as a missing juvenile. So this sends out an alert to all law agencies. So at least, I don't know. I mean, unfortunately, in this case, that didn't help anything, but at least it was put in immediately. The following day, Wednesday the 24th, so this is officially five days since Brianna was last seen, Kelly and Bruce make more phone calls. They drive around the area looking for anything that might indicate where Brianna is. And Kelly wondered maybe if Brianna could have run away to go see her aunt, whose name was Tammy Fisher, and she lived in Pittsburgh. And they were super, super close. But when Kelly called Tammy to see if Brianna had called or ended up there, Tammy had no idea. So that. It's like at every turn, you know, they're just like, their hearts Mm -hmm. are sinking further and further. It's so sad. The possibility, though, of Brianna having run away seemed pretty crazy. I mean, I guess if you look at it on paper, it's like she withdrew from school and she moved out of her house. Of course, she ran away. But that's not actually Brianna. Like, it's not like, you know, I'm just slowly making steps of stopping any forward progress in my life. Like, you know... She was very, very responsible still. She was taking that GED program, you know? She was working two jobs to try to make ends meet, like all these things. She was still a really responsible kid. Again, something happened where she moved out. Something happened. But she also wanted to get out of rural Vermont. There must be more than this provincial life. Oh, is there life out there? Oh, yeah. She just reminds me so much of Belle. Oh, in this particular scenario, but she wanted to like, you know, go to the big city. And so, you know, her friends were like, that's a possibility. You know, maybe she would have wanted to, you know, just get out of here finally or whatever. But then they were like, no, that's not Brianna either. She would not leave without telling her family. So again, we don't have a situation of a 17 year old just straight quote runaway who still matter very much. But I know a lot of times law enforcement agencies will be like, oh, well, you know, they're just a runaway, whatever. They're not allowed to run away. Mm-mm. So yeah, guess what? Mm-mm. They don't get to, so go find them. But she was still in contact with her family all the time. They had just seen each other that day. She would have absolutely let friends or family know if she was going somewhere else. She, Her parents knew at least where she was living, you know, and things like that. So it was not like, see you when I see you kind of thing at all. Mm-hmm. So for friends and family, they're thinking, no, this is, there's no way. On Thursday, March 25th, Kelly and Bruce went to the nearest Vermont State Police Station in St. Albans. They showed police photos of Brianna and her green Oldsmobile that she'd been seen last driving. This green Oldsmobile, it's, I mean, this is 2004, but it's not, it's distinctive. It's very distinctive. It's like olive green with one of those, not cloth, but one of those like kind of covers on the top. Granddaddy had one, but it wasn't an Oldsmobile and Uh it wasn't green. But yeah. I remember it distinctly, but yeah, you would know it when you saw it. It's an older car. I mean, you know, it was an 85 Mm -hmm. and at that time, the body style was completely different. I mean, this car is a hoss. So they show the picture of this car to the police and an officer shows them a picture that had been 
of a car that had been found off Route 118, just a mile or two down from the Black Lantern. And as soon as her parents see it, they're like, oh my God, this is Brianna's car. Mm-hmm. That has to, like your stomach has to fall directly out of your butt. Absolutely. Because this car is, well, first of all, just seeing that the car is abandoned would be very, very concerning, right? Because now it's six days in. But the way that the car was found is bizarre. It's this little house, farmhouse kind of thing. And the car looks like it's backed into it. I mean, the Mm -hmm. car is, I mean, it's backed into the house. And part of the house kind of collapsed on top of the car. There's no damage to the car, really. But the house was kind of like an old kind of dilapidated house or whatever. And the car is not just like backed up to it. It is backed up into it. Mm -hmm. There was a, a wreck of small sorts, even. You know, it didn't necessarily have to be like, a huge crash, but it's pretty bizarre. I mean, if you see that, you're like, what the fuck happened? What could have happened? On Saturday, March 20th, the day after Brianna was last seen leaving work, a state trooper had been dispatched to an abandoned vehicle off the road on Route 218. And when he got there, he found the Green Oldsmobile and it was backed into that abandoned farmhouse that we mentioned. And it's called, like, around that area, people just referred to it as the Dutch Burn House. And again, a mile, mile and a half from the Black Lantern Inn. And the thing is, though, the state trooper finds this fucking car backed into a house with part of the house collapsed on top of it in a significant hole in the house. And he's like, eh, whatever. Probably everything's fine. He just figured it was a DUI situation where the person didn't want to get in trouble, so they left. Okay. So he looks inside. There are, there's two unopened paychecks to Brianna, like addressed to her from the Black Lantern Inn. So he has a clue. Mm -hmm. Write that down your handy dandy notebook. (laughs) And, but he also finds just like a bunch of other personal effects. There's apparently a lot of trash in this car too. And again, we know that she lived out of this car from time to time too. So there's a lot of stuff in there. But again, he just took down the license plate, drove down the road to the Black Lantern Inn. It was closed at the time. And then he was like, well, I did everything I could. So he had it towed. Mm -hmm. He doesn't take any pictures. He doesn't... No, no pictures, nothing. nothing. Bruce and Kelly were fucking pissed. They were like, why would you not have notified us sooner? Because the, the car was registered to Bruce and Kelly. So why would they not have been notified that their car was found backed into a building? Right. You know, they don't call them or anything like that. And it's, you know, the driver is assumed to be Brianna, who's underage, because all of her stuff is in the car. So, like, again, why are we not making any phone calls? Their son, Waylon, found her car at a local shop. So Bruce goes down there, and the trunk had not been opened. And, it, you know, the keys were in the vehicle. They didn't have a way to open the trunk. It was just towed the way it was. And he got a crowbar out and opened the trunk. And he was terrified he was going to find his daughter's body in the back of that car. And I cannot imagine that feeling. And thankfully, she wasn't there. But just, oh, it's just so heartbreaking. But they were like, you know, it's weird because her contacts were left in the car. Her migraine medications were left in the car. And these are two things that everybody said she wouldn't have left without because she needed to see. Mm-hmm. And also, apparently, she had frequent enough migraines that she needed to keep that with her. So they're like, okay, she wouldn't have left those things. And they started to think that, you know, maybe she was a victim of foul play. And they said that she wouldn't have been easy to contain because remember, she is well, well versed in jujitsu. And they were like, she was a fighter. She would have been very difficult to abduct. There would have been a struggle, right? Because mm-hmm. she would fight. On Friday, March 26th, everybody at this point is searching for Brianna. The Maitland's house was the hub. They have police, volunteers, media all over the place. They were distributing flyers. Bruce is going down to the Black Lantern to talk to everybody to get as much information as he can. Police deploy search dogs in the area surrounding the car. They did not find anything. On March 30th, police examined Brianna's car for evidence and collected DNA and fingerprints. Back at the Maitland's farm, though, the Maitland's are getting tons of phone calls, mostly rumors or creepy people with nothing better to do than harass 
family members of somebody who's gone missing. Why? I know. Why? It's beyond comprehension why people are like, great, somebody went missing. Let me torture their family. That's cruel. Yes. I know. It's so awful. And I think it's funny. I just don't, I do not understand it. But they did get one phone call that was interesting. Somebody called from Maura Murray's family. And I know you guys know who Maura Murray is because we get that requested a shit ton. But if you don't know, she disappeared when she was 21 years old in New Hampshire. And this is about 90 miles from Brianna. There are some similarities in their cases that Mara's car had been found abandoned along the side of the road. And this was five weeks before Brianna's disappearance. So Mm -hmm. it's pretty, you know, I mean, and that's not that far. Like, you know, it's not 2,000 miles. Well, all those little New England states, they're just like jammed all in there. So they really are. And I mean, this is something that Henry Lee Lucas could have, he could have done both of these in the same within an hour and then, right. And then been to space and back. He's, he travels at the speed of light. So he really does. So this is nothing for him. But Mora's family were wondering if maybe the two disappearances were connected. Maybe there was a serial killer who was preying on women who had car trouble or, you know, something like that. Like, mm-hmm. you know, something going on. Two weeks after Brianna was last seen, the Class Kids Foundation came to Vermont to aid in the search. And was that on a mixtape? Yes. Okay. So we covered on our murder mixtape on the Patreon the abduction and murder of Polly Class. So if you heard that, you're going to recognize the Class Kids Foundation. Her father, Mark Class, founded this. And uh, she had been abducted and murdered in 1993 when she was 12 years old from a fucking slumber party. Mm-mm. nobody is safe. It is so scary. But they have also conducted like hundreds of searches for missing people. They've trained over 1,600 professional search and rescue volunteers. And so they brought more than 500 volunteers to help canvas areas within a five-mile radius of where Brianna's car was found. But unfortunately, they did not find anything. Ugh, so sad. So let's talk about any clues, anything of substance. What do we do here? Though police and the Maitlands were coming up empty-handed in their searches, the widespread publicity was paying off. Witnesses had come forward saying that they'd seen Brianna's car the night that she disappeared. A man driving down Route 118 remembered seeing the vehicle backed into the Dutch burn house sometime between 11.30 p.m. and 12.30 a.m. He believed the headlights were on, and another driver saw her vehicle in the same spot between 12 p.m. and 12.30 a.m. Or I guess it's 12 a.m. to 12.30 a.m. Mm-hmm with a turn signal possibly flashing. Later that morning, around 2.30 a.m., Brianna's ex-boyfriend, James... Oh. No idea how to say that name. Robitaille? Sure. Who was returning from a party, drove by the Dutch burn house and saw her car. Recognizing the vehicle, he pulled over. There are two different accounts of what James did that night. One says that he continued on by the vehicle, recognizing it but not stopping. Another said that he found the headlights on and both the driver's side and passenger side doors open. James turned off the lights, shut the doors, and continued on. James's story has varied a bit since he had, was admittedly drunk the night and he didn't want to get into any trouble. And even later in the morning, a group of hitchhikers down from Route 118 saw Brianna's vehicle and were curious. So they pulled over and they took photos. They hikers, found the situation. Not hitchhikers. What did I say? Oh, hitchhikers. I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, you know, you nothing know wrong with either, but just... Yeah, it was a group of hikers, excuse yeah. me. And they found the vehicle. They found it to be very curious. So they were taking pictures and they saw loose change, a water bottle, and a broken necklace on the ground nearby that was later determined to be Brianna's. Luckily, these hikers, not hitchhikers, mm-hmm. took photos because they ended up being some of the only photos taken of the crime scene. Perfect. I was hoping there would be no pictures taken of the crime scene. Right. Thank you, Detectives. Mm-hmm. Well, they didn't know. Anyway, yeah, botched, they were never did, botched yeah, job. Exactly. Yeah, botched. <laughs> botched. Hey, you guys. Um, it's us again. Yay! It's us. We threw we threw you for a loop on this one. <laughs> uh, so we know that a lot of you have been asking, like, WTF? Where are episodes one through forty four? And guess what? Now you can have them. So let's just remember, though, we need you to take a little caution here. 
we didn't know exactly what we were doing back then. And we started this podcast as just a fun thing to do as sisters. We had no idea that it would grow into this super awesome club with you guys. So what we're saying is the audio wasn't super amazing, but the content is 100% us just being us and talking about some true crime with 90s flair. Okay, so here are the details. You'll be able to access our what we're calling OG episodes in your favorite podcast app through a private and custom RSS feed link. So to grab that, head over to killerqueens.link slash OG and snag episodes one through 44 today. That's killerqueens.link slash OG. Three weeks after Brianna was last seen, the Maitland family launched another massive search in rural Northwest Vermont. Again, they found nothing. I mean, it's like so many things they've, like so many searches and just absolutely nothing is turning up. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's crazy. Let's talk about some events leading up to this night. So in late February, about three weeks prior to Brianna's disappearance, she was involved in an altercation at a party. This, I'm sorry, I'm just going to say this bitch Keely. Mm-hmm. She's a bitch. Keely Lacrosse and Brianna had been good friends in high school, and there were six girls in their friend group. They were basically like always together. Keely and Brianna were often interested in the same guys. It sounds like they probably would like, you know, one of them would like date somebody and then later the other one would date that same person. And it, I don't know. It just seemed like it's kind of how it is. There's like not as many boys in school, I feel like, as there are girls. And yeah. so you're going to cross over some boyfriend girlfriend situations. But while Keely was out of town one week, she found out that Brianna had stayed at Keely's boyfriend's house that week. And this is James Robitaille or whatever. James ended up admitting that he had cheated on Keely with Brianna. And even though they'd been close for a while, Brianna by this point had grown slightly distant from the girls because she wasn't attending school with them anymore. And that, I mean, that'll do it. So mm-hmm. out of sight, out of mind, right? Yeah. After returning to Vermont, Keely saw Brianna in James's car and this really made her angry. She was yelling at them as they drove off. And then a few days later, Brianna shows up to a party with James. Keely was there and she was absolutely livid that they had gone there together. So she spends the night bothering the shit out of Brianna, just antagonizing her, instigating stuff. And Brianna wasn't biting. She was just like, no, I'm not going to acknowledge this. And when she finally had enough and went out to James's car, like she just went out there to sit, Keely couldn't take it. So she goes out there, knocks on the window. Brianna rolls it down and Keely just punches her twice in the head. And she's yelling at her. She's asking if she was going to come out and fight. You know, she's like, what are you going to come out? You're going to fight me? And I'm like, thinking if Brianna did get out and fight you, your ass would be handed to you. Right, exactly. And she sucker punched her. Yeah, she sucker punched her. Yeah. So Brianna just sat there. She had her head down. She was crying. Finally, James came out. I have some feelings about James in this situation. Like if somebody is following, I don't, I guess your girlfriend at this point around and yelling at her and threatening her do you think you guys could maybe leave the party together instead of yeah. like letting her go? Like, okay, I'll see you later, babe. I'm going to shotgun some beers. Right. Cool. I'm not done partying. Yeah, exactly. So he finally comes out. Keely walks away. Brianna was taken to the hospital. She had a broken nose, black eyes, and a concussion. And her friends and I think Kelly, her mom, encouraged her to file a police report. And initially she wasn't going to. And I mean, that's the thing about Brianna. She didn't want anybody to be mad at her. So she didn't want to file a police report and that's why she didn't want to get out and fight Keely because she didn't want to just, she just didn't want people to not like her. Mm -hmm. She was just so like, I don't know. She was a very kind person, but she ends up filing this police report. So I read that Keely was going to be prosecuted for this altercation because she was charged. But then Brianna goes missing. And so on April 9th, the assault complaint against Keeley was dropped despite Brianna's parents' objections. And Keeley ended up being one of the seven people that were subpoenaed to testify about Brianna's disappearance. Keeley was very cooperative with police and was questioned multiple times. And police have pretty much cleared her. They don't think she had anything to do with Brianna's disappearance. Keeley has gone on to get into more trouble. She's, uh, 
she like bro- broke into a house, I think, with some friends and bit the homeowner. Mm. She's not a girl making good decisions, that's for sure. But the police don't think she had anything to do with the disappearance. And, you know, anytime there's like a court date pending and then the, you know, the person goes missing or whatever, it's like, well, duh, this person did something to them. Right. It does, based on the police, it does seem like for Keely, this may have just been a, quote, lucky break for her. And that's how she treated it. Keely never looked at things as like, oh my God, you know what? Like we had some beef, but that's really sad. Like we were friends and she went missing. She was just smug as hell. Like, "Mm, well, guess I don't have to worry about that anymore. Ugh. Keely's not somebody that I would want to maybe be friends with based on what I'm hearing. Doesn't sound like it. No. So let's talk about some theories. At the time of Brianna's disappearance, there was a drug epidemic in Vermont. Crack cocaine was particularly popular. There were plenty of teenagers who didn't have anything to do other than try drugs. There was more than one drug ring active in the area. However, one that stood out to the police was run by Ramon Ryans, a.k.a. Street, and Nathaniel Jackson, a.k.a. Lowe. The two were from New York and came to Vermont specifically to traffic and distribute drugs. There were rumors that Brianna was involved with drugs and initially it appeared to be casual usage. However, it soon came to light that Brianna was a bit deeper into drug use than initially believed. Her friend Shauna said that Brianna had told her that she'd used crack cocaine and marijuana at parties. Greg Overacker, a private investigator hired by the Maitlands, said that he was able to place Brianna and Ryan's with Ryan's and Jackson many times, some in one-on-one situations. Four weeks after her disappearance, the Maitlands received an anonymous phone call saying that Brianna was being held against her will in a farmhouse on Reservoir Road in Berkshire, which was about 10 miles from where her car was found. Bruce told police that either they needed to execute a search at the farmhouse or else he would gather a group of friends and he would do it himself. Bruce wasn't playing around. No, and I don't, I don't blame him at all. You hear that, you're like, I'm fucking going. Yeah. Vermont State Police went to the residence to find that it belonged to Ryan's and Jackson. Both denied knowing where Brianna was. The two other teenagers in the home also denied any knowledge about her. Ryans and Jackson allowed police to search their home. They found nothing that tied them into Brianna. However, they found guns and drug paraphernalia. The four were arrested on drug charges, but after their arraignments, Jackson left Vermont and moved to the Carolinas, where he was eventually arrested arrested again on drug charges. Ryans moved in with Gia Collins. A few months later, Collins was reported missing by Ryan's and her remains were found shortly after. Does not sound good. No, it does not. I mean, and it's it's horrific for Gia Collins and her family, but, you know, in connection to this case as well. Yeah. Just, yeah, it doesn't sound good. A woman was arrested after she admitted to murdering Collins after robbing her during a drug deal. Ryan's was never convicted of any involvement. Both Ryan's and Jackson continued saying that they knew of Brianna, but they didn't know her very well. Overacker said that this was complete bullshit, and there were several witnesses who said otherwise. Is Overacker saying this is bullshit because she was, like, if they're drug dealers and maybe she was getting drugs from them, like, maybe she did meet with them several times to buy drugs, but that doesn't mean you know somebody super well, right? Right. Yeah, I really don't know. I mean... If I've learned anything from Pineapple Express, it's he was Seth Rogen's just trying to get his weed and get out of there. James but, Franco isn't having it. <laughs> he wants to be best friends. He wants to be best friends. So it's like, I feel like that's not the normal situation. But I mean, yeah. I don't know. Again, there's just, there's a lot of stuff that they keep close and stuff like that. But I wonder if they kind of can both be true. Like, yeah, I knew of her. Yeah, I'd met her several times, but she bought drugs off me. Right. And yeah, maybe we were at parties at the same time or whatever, but it wasn't like we talked on the phone every day and, you know. Yeah. I don't know. Exactly. I have no idea. One theory is that Brianna owed someone money for drugs. Police strongly believe this and the newspaper even printed an article stating that her disappearance was the result of drug debt, despite there not being any proof of this. That's cool. Perfect. That's irresponsible journalism. Mm Mm-hmm. They eventually published a retraction and apologized to the Maitlands. There are many people who believe that Brianna's disappearance may have been the result of a group trying to scare her because she owed them money. It was theorized that she met them out by the Dutch burn house after work and their plan went wrong, ending in her death inadvertently. 
It wasn't out of the ordinary in Vermont for teens to meet in fields, drink, and do drugs. So meeting near the Dutch burn house was a plausible theory. I don't know about that either. That house is so visible from it's the street. right on the road. Yeah, and how many witnesses drove by that night and saw her, just her car there? They would have mentioned if there were three cars there and 12 people standing outside. Right. It doesn't sound like it was a field party, which... Right. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, maybe she stopped there to meet with somebody. I also don't know about the whole, like, drug money thing because, again, I, I don't know how it works, but how much money... Is this, like, she you know, told somebody, hey, I need weed and uh, I'll spot you next time or whatever. And then they're like, well, she owes me 50 fucking dollars. So down she goes. Yeah. Like, doesn't this need to be a significant amount of money? But I've also heard police say, I mean, I know that people are killed for for drug debts and stuff like that. But also when you kill the person, you can't collect your debt. Right. And I hear police say that so many times. So it's like, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. In the middle of June 2004, police said that they'd ruled out any connection between Brianna's disappearance and Maura Murray. Despite this, some people believe that the two disappearances could be the result of a serial killer. I don't, but... That's you don't me. what? I don't think that they're connected at all. Yeah. I mean, they are similar. There are parallels, but I don't think that they're, they're connected either. Yeah, I don't, think they're, I don't think they're connected. Yeah, they are kind of similar. Just the Dutch burn house being so visible... And so many people driving by and like seeing her car. It just seems weird that, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Okay, so we uh, we have a sighting to talk about. On January 17th, 2006, a Vermont business owner was at a blackjack table in Caesars Casino in Atlantic City, New Jersey, when he spotted a female who he thought looked exactly like Brianna. She was with a bald, middle-aged white male. The man did not approach the woman that he saw, but he did contact law enforcement. Police retrieved surveillance video from the casino to show her family. And within five minutes of watching the video, Waylon was like, no, this is not my sister. Her parents were hesitant and likely biased, as I'm sure, you know, they hoped it was her. But eventually, after pausing the video and seeing the woman at a certain angle, Kelly was like, no, this is not my daughter. And this woman has never been identified. Nobody's ever come forward and been like, oh, hey, it was me. Like, sorry, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. didn't mean to look like her, I guess. I don't know what you'd say sorry for, but... Sorry to the family. Yeah, like, sorry, but it's me. But the family was pretty like, you know, and you know they're desperate to find her, right? So the likelihood is normally that people will see something that's not there, but they were just like, man, it's not her, you know? Mm -hmm. It's just not her. It's a bummer, yeah. Yeah. Uh, We've got more theories, though, because that's all we have in this case. Again, I'm so sorry, Tori. Greg Overacker said that he was told by somebody that the day that Brianna disappeared, she'd been threatened in the parking lot. So remember when Brianna went shopping with her mom and Brianna leaves the store and then when her mom comes out, she's like just in a whole different mood. Overacker said that he was told that Brianna saw somebody she recognized outside. She went to talk to them and they told her that she shouldn't go to work that night. The source said that the person who told... This is secondhand information. So the person that gives this information to Overacker says that the person who told them this is the person who actually talked to Brianna. Right. But that's like, well, he said, she said, he said, it's like. It's kind of like a fart in the wind. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't hold anything. It's never been confirmed. I mean, I don't know. The creators of the podcast, Missing Maura Murray, have at least 20 episodes where they dig deep into Brianna's disappearance. And that's what we talked about in the beginning, uh, Missing Brianna Maitland. During this, they interview several of her friends. Katie Manning and Megan Jefferson were close friends of Brianna's in high school, and they remembered how friendly she was and that she was, you know, a great person. In their interviews, they both said that they believe that there are between two to four people who still live in the area who know exactly what happened to Brianna. They alluded to the fact that they believe that Brianna's death was an accidental overdose, and the people who were there with her, rather than calling 911, Or, you know, they don't want to get in trouble because they're also using drugs and doing stuff they're not supposed to be doing. They let her die, disposed of her body, and covered up her death. The girls don't name the people they believe were involved, but they do mention that they were close to at least one of the people before this happened and just after Brianna's disappearance. Katie said that the police were told about these rumors and even drained a manure pit at the house of one of the guys, but they didn't find anything. Uh, That sounds uh, like a horrific job to drain a manure pit. Mm -hmm. 
In another article, Keely LaCrosse said that after Brianna's disappearance, they came to her boyfriend's house to drag his manure pit. So the man's name isn't reported, but this, you know, is corroborated by a couple people. It's clear that it was someone who was involved with, you know, this circle of friends. In Megan's interview, she said that it's possible that the people were scared when Brianna overdosed since she was only 17 years old and they were all over the age of 18. She says these people still live in Enosburg, and Katie said she still runs into them occasionally. I feel that this is one of those situations where, you know, four people can keep a secret if three of them are dead. But it's been 17 years. I just, I can't believe that somebody hasn't, you know, needed to relieve their conscience by now. Mm -hmm. Or just been like, I see what the family is going through. Like, I need to, you know. Yeah. And I do feel like, I mean, obviously I can understand being scared of getting caught or busted for drugs, but you're going to be in so much more trouble if you dispose of a body. <sighs> yeah, exactly. And how do you live with yourself? Like, I just don't get it. Right. Yeah. And I know that, you know, young people right. don't make the best decisions, but, and I know this has been known to happen, but I don't know. I wish there, maybe there is a case study of like how many times this actually happened and how long people went before they said something to somebody. Yeah. Because I just have a hard time thinking that nobody said anything by right. now. In 2007, a Vermont newspaper published a story that a local police officer gave a sworn statement that a local woman told him that Brianna was murdered and dismembered by several people, including Ramon Ryans. Police were never able to substantiate any of this information. As to why Brianna's car was backed into the Dutchburn house, there are a few theories. Some think that she was meeting someone there and then she was attacked. And while trying to fend off her attacker, she inadvertently reversed into the building. Others believe that Brianna had multiple attackers at the scene and that after getting her into another car, someone tried to take her vehicle with them, but accidentally reversed it into the farmhouse. I also heard a theory that... Somebody was waiting in the back of her car and urban legend style popped up at the right moment to like attack her or abduct her after That's terrifying. Yeah, after she'd driven away from work for a little while. You know what? I don't want to put something out there that's not meant to be put out there. I know Keely has all but been cleared. She had motive. She did have motive. It's such convenient timing for her. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and as smug as she was about like, oh well, she's gone now, so no. Mm -hmm. No criminal charges. Yeah. And I mean, it's not like she was avoiding a murder charge by getting rid of her or anything. You know, it's a pr probably a pretty small charge, but I don't know. Well, I mean, if we're going to go the route of younger kids make dumb mistakes. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, what did we talk about on True Crime Rewind last night? Somebody mm -hmm. literally killed a woman because he thought that his boyfriend, who they're both gay, was with a woman that night and they were literally like just talking because she was straight, he was gay, nothing there. And just he saw them talking and killed her over it. Mm -hmm. I mean, there was absolutely nothing. That's such an overreaction. I just can't even, I can't even state what an overreaction that is. Like right. people do. People do it. Yeah, people do it. You know, there are times they're like, oh, well, this person only had $50 on them. Somebody has killed for $50, I guarantee you. I literally think about that kind of stuff whenever, because I sometimes will have like some cash on me and it'll just be in my car. And I'm like, I better put this up because somebody will break into this car for a $2 bill. You know what I mean? Like, yep. you just cannot put it past people. I know. Yeah. That being said, we don't know what happened. Obviously, that's what we're talking about it, but you just never know. Yeah, it really is. It's, it's a very strange case. I mean, especially adding the car being backed in the building just adds another layer of like, what the fuck happened? You know, mm -hmm. like there's so many things that I mean, it literally like, I also wonder, did something happen where like she pulled over for some reason into that, you know, to, to that, that house, house or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And she was getting ready to leave. And for whatever reason, you know, maybe she'd been in park and accidentally like put her car in reverse instead of drive, gassed it and then backed into the car. And then somebody saw her there and, you know, she accepted a ride from somebody and that went wrong. Like, you know, there could be a lot of reasons like her car backing into that house could be part of the altercation or, or attack or whatever. And it also could not be like, we just don't know. I feel like, you know, mm -hmm. there's so many like movies that you see or cases that we cover. And it's like, 
here's all the evidence. And you're like, how the fuck does this all go together? And then when you see that like, oh, well, actually she tripped and fell on her way inside the house and that's why there was blood here. And then, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's like, I don't know. You just like never know what the sequence of events is going to be. And Mm -hmm. like sometimes crazy shit just happens. (laughs) You never know. But yeah. There are rumors that there is evidence that was possibly found in Brianna's car that has not been released to the public. Unfortunately, there hasn't been much public movement in her disappearance. If you have any information regarding Brianna's disappearance, please contact the Vermont State Police at 802-524-5993. Thank you so much for listening, and we will catch you on the next episode. Bye. Bye. Okay, you guys, before we head out, we just want to give you a Hey Girl thanks to some of our newest patrons. Thank you to Amanda Kennedy, Desiree Sains, Hillary Bryant, Kayla, Kira Musquiz, Muskies, okay, that's, yep, probably, yep, Tani Pratt, Brittany Newell, Brooklyn Lee, Nadia, Michaela Duncan, Sarah Melfi, Claudia Opria, Amanda Robinson, Chelsea Grindhart, Gretchen, Sarah Bamford, Jessica Francis, Jenny Murphy, Kylie Klein, Andy Corbett, Miranda Taplin, Megan Parks, Bridget Klabund, Chloe Eggleston, Hannah Cortade, Gabrielle Terran, Cricket Bidwell, Amanda Powellick, Leslie Maddox, Marissa Riggleman, Abby, Sarah Beth, Cheryl Mallet, Kelsey, Emma, Mike, Gabrielle Reyes, Jordan Drake, Micah Kawabata, Natalie Movsi, oh, Movsiusian, Movi, Movsi, oh, Movsi, Movsi, I don't know, so sorry, yeah, so sorry, (laughs) (laughs) just, we just feel like we just should apologize for that, yes, Jasmine Dillon, Brenna Burke, Madison Colsar, Jalen Triplett, Aubrey Crook, Hannah Glover, Kelly Benj, Jacqueline Peel, Reagan Meadows, Jamie Weaver, Eleanor, Megan Blunt, Arena Burlack, Randy, Corinna Macias, Nastasha, Natasha Ooh. Clarkson, yeah, Claire Ashton, and Ashley Jewett. Oh my God, thank you guys so much. We love you. We could not be more appreciative of your support. Yes, thank you so much. Bye. Bye. Okay, y'all, don't turn the show off just yet. Stay tuned to hear a trailer for a show that we think you are gonna love. Check it out. Hey, everyone. My name is Jess, and I'm the co-host of a weekly true crime podcast called Wife of Crime. Every week, I tell my husband one of my favorite true crime stories, and he reacts to them. Sometimes I get mad at him. You're going to really regret all of this judginess that you're doing right now once I tell you this story, because you're being very judgmental. Obviously, something bad's going to happen. She's making a lot of bad decisions. Well, you're being very judgmental. Stop. And sometimes he makes really weird noises. Oh. He now thinks that he's an FBI profiler. Yeah. How about no. that? Rust the profile of oh. placebo effect. <laughs> but most of the time, he just has really funny color commentary. Wow, so he's sitting in his human leather chair, eating fruity pebbles out of a skull. <laughs> Find us wherever you listen to podcasts and check us out on Instagram at Wife of Crime Pod. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this case. Connect with us on Instagram or Facebook to continue the conversation. Thanks for listening and we will meet you back here next week. Bye. The theme song for the show is created and composed by Stephen Toby. You can find more of Stephen's work on SoundCloud. Our logo was created by Sloan Williams of Sophisticated Crayon. You can find more of her work on Etsy. Visit us at killerqueenspodcast.com for merch and other info about the show.